0: Welcome to Making Sense of Martech. In a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising, I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the Martech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers the important shifts in the marketing technology industry. People who work in the world's largest media, tech, and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I'm joined by Andy Makoda bicknell He is the head of competitive intelligence at ClickUp. A content creator and the founder of the Competitive Playbook, an online course that helps companies to build competitor intelligence programs from scratch. In this episode, we talk about the emerging field of competitive research and intelligence in the B2B SaaS company industry. Andy's journey building a competitive playbook product, the differentiation of ClickUp, competing beyond products and features the state of competitive intelligence in the tech industry, building a competitive intelligence program in companies, and how competitive intelligence influences company strategy and many other topics. And now I give you Andy.
1: Hey, so stoked to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. So give our listeners a bit of an introduction to yourself. How did you find yourself working on competitive intelligence. What does it look like and what do you like about it?
1: Yeah, so I'll share my story and just so that everyone knows, your story, if you're interested in competitive intel, will probably not look like this. There's no formal path to competitive intelligence, I've found. There's some similarities between stories, but uh, we'll get into that. So for me personally, um, I started my career in sales um, and I really wasn't a big fan of it. And so, uh, my actual formal education was in marketing. And so after about a year or so in sales, I was like, okay, what can I do to get into a marketing role? And so I did uh what any eager 22 year old would do. And I sent out my resume to probably like a hundred different tech companies across the country. And at the time I hardly got any responses, but I did get one finally from a company called discover org, which later turned into zoom info. And the role was for an associate product marketing manager role. And so uh, my wife and I, at the time, we moved from Michigan to Vancouver, Washington. So I could start in that role. And I learned kind of the fundamentals of what product marketing was at a fast-growing tech company. And so um, product marketing at that point, it was, uh, you know, we were a team of two. And I think the company at the time was a little over 600 people growing rapidly. And so we were doing really full stack product marketing work. So messaging, positioning, buyer personas, competitive intel, enablement, win-loss programs, you name it. And um, typically, as companies grow um, and the product marketing teams scale, what typically happens is product marketers will start to specialize. So rather than having to conduct all of these different uh product marketing duties, you'll break them out and uh, you'll have somebody who's in charge of just platform product marketing uh, or just different personas or competitive intel in my case. And so I loved competitive intel when I worked at on it as a full stack product marketer because I felt like it was always really dynamic, really interesting. I felt that other people were really interested in the information as well. Like it wasn't like a boring topic. And so Um, I always really latched to that. And then finally, when the opportunity came to dive all in on it, I absolutely took it. And so um, at ZoomInfo, built the first formal competitive Intel program, Um, really had a lot of fun doing it. I learned a ton. And then now I'm over at ClickUp, uh, kind of doing the same thing. Uh, I joined when it was like six or 700 employees and uh, learning a lot. But again, just laying the foundations of that competitive Intel program and having a lot of fun doing it.
0: It sounds like a lot of fun. And it's interesting that you say that there's no formal pathway into a, say, becoming a competitive intelligence professional. Uh, and I think that's the symptomatic of the marketing technology industry at large is that there are all these great careers But there's no clear path for young people to get into them. Um, And you've wound your way through sales and then doing research and then you finally got to where you're at now, uh, building resources and and creating content for others to help them in in their own journey. But I, I do think that perhaps one of the problems specifically with competitive intelligence is that... Um, it's almost like a subset of strategy or or, or company strategy uh, in that, you know, you look at say, you know, what your customers are doing and understanding your customers really well. Then you also look at the marketplace and then also look at your competitors and then the internal situation in your own business. And it's like one of those pillars in strategy is understanding your competitors really well and what they're doing and how you can um, effectively compete in a marketplace. But I think it's, it's interesting that, you're saying that now it's more this is a standalone discipline that influences strategy but do you have any comments on that how the competitive intelligence landscape is a little bit different it's growing now in different ways
1: totally yeah yeah and I think it's funny that you mentioned that piece about strategy because typically I think I think the historical view of strategy is it's a very buttoned up executive level function within a company and I think if you want to get in on the strategy of the company, getting more involved in kind of that aspect of things. I think competitive Intel is a great gateway, right? Because there is a lot of strategy that's involved with that right. and understanding, okay, what are these external threats that are up against our company? And what can we do to make them less of a threat? But then there's also this, you know, separate from that whole strategic motion of a competitive Intel program, there's the more tactical. Elements too, where you're enabling sellers, marketers, product teams to build um, products that are more relevant to your target audience, Uh, arm sales with talk tracks and different points that make sure that they're speaking against competitors and about their own product in a way that makes the most sense to customers. Mm -hmm. And so you have a really good balance of both of those. And so that's why I think, you know, if I had to give an answer of like, what's a really good, gateway into competitive intel i think that um product marketing anyone that's in sales enablement those are great places to start and great places to kind of you know if you're interested in competitive intel i think there's a clear path there but another interesting thing about competitive intel is that (laughs) you can learn from just about anybody within the company because you know competitors it's not like this one small thing that nobody really knows about they're all public entities and so someone on the product team could be very, very experienced and knowledgeable about a competitor's strength. Someone on the sales team could be very knowledgeable about just uh, the interpretation of a specific competitor for a specific subset subsegment of your target audience, you know. And so um, just because product marketing or sales enablement might be the, most, um, the easiest kind of fit, that doesn't mean that folks in sales or product or whatever other department that there's no path for them in competitive intel and so it's very much one of those kind of funny rules where i think if you're really interested in it you can find a way to get more involved in it
0: yeah i think so it's it's uh you know you, you do one small project where you do a lot of competitive research and then it grabs you and you go wow this is really interesting you know and then you can totally. pursue, pursue that path but there's no university course there's no under a postgraduate degree in competitive intelligence mm-hmm. it's more sort of wrapped in wrapped in MBA and, and different types of leadership and management type courses at universities. But yeah, I think it's, it's very, quite interesting. I think that, you know, there, there is this own discipline and there's a sense of excellence in that discipline when it comes to competitive intelligence, which we'll get into in a little bit, but let's talk about what you just touched on now, which is how competitive intelligence is understood within companies. Now, uh, you talk about, and I think it's it's right to talk about it in this way, is that often competitive intelligence in in the tech industry is thought about in the concepts of products and features. So, how are we differentiating on product? How are we differentiating on features? But in the playbook, you do a lot of work to unwind that kind of thinking. So, my question to you, Andy, is in your playbook and and how way you think about this, uh, what are some differentiators that are not product or feature focused that are often effective? Um, In the technology category?
1: Great question. Yeah. And as a, so I mentioned that I I started in product marketing and, you know, being uh, so interested in like writing about features and use cases, it's really easy to just think like, okay, like we have this feature, they don't. So naturally we have a competitive advantage. And um, unfortunately, it's not that simple. Sometimes it can be that simple, but for the majority of the time, especially with large deals, it's not that simple. Um, there's a lot of other non product based differentiators that I think companies really need to start looking into and investing in if they want to stand out. Um, I'm I'm sure most of the folks that are listening to this are going to be familiar with the Martech 5,000, which is now more like Martech 10,000. But then in addition to that, if you look on, if you look on, uh, G2, G2 G2.com, um, they, they have over 100,000 different SaaS products there. And so there's, it's just this overwhelming amount of different choices that are facing buyers. And so in a lot of cases, you know, it's going to be hard to just get into the conversation, let alone get them to be conducting a feature comparison between you and a competitor. And so there's other things that you need to do in order to kind of get into that conversation. I'm going to talk about four that I think are important that a lot of companies are really leaning on. So the first is community a really great example of a company that's doing community really well is a company called lemlist l-e-m-l-i-s-t so they're a company a sales engagement company that competes against companies like outreach and sales loft and where they're really niching down is with startups and smbs and the way that they're using community is they've essentially built out like a, a facebook group filled with all of their users where they can essentially source feature requests, give different feedback. They can give users access to early templates that they're working on to conduct sales outreach, and they can just overall users can interact with each other as well. So really a powerful thing that's going to keep users into the Lemlist product versus going somewhere else. There's a couple others I want to talk about too. Brand. That's a massive thing that I think because it's sometimes so hard to track a lot of companies just neglect to really invest in brand. And so another company that's doing really well with this is Drift. Okay. So they used brand to really compete against Intercom in the conversational marketing space. Drift really niched down on the sales and marketing side of support bots, essentially, or website bots. And so they doubled down on brand by really focusing on their founder, Dave Cancel, and making his voice really almost synonymous with the brand. They created a conference before that was like common and cool. Their conference was called Hypergrowth. They would do LinkedIn takeovers with all of their employees. And so they would really just essentially, everyone who logged onto LinkedIn, again, before LinkedIn was as popular as it is now, you would only see stuff about Drift. They published a book about conversational marketing, again, before that was commonplace. All things that helped make Drift a very powerful, well-known company in the conversational marketing space. A couple more education. Okay. So education is another massive way to stand out from competitors. And a company that stands out for me in this area is a company called Gong. And so they use education to compete against other call recording tools. Their category is revenue intelligence. And they essentially created this very well-known blog called Gong Labs, which essentially uses their product as a basis for finding different interesting stats and data to help show how you can change the way that you're selling and improve the way that you're selling, make more revenue. That in addition to the fact that they have a bunch of online interviews with well-known authors, revenue experts, it's all really, really interesting stuff. That's again, just making you a better seller. Mm -hmm. The last one that I'm gonna talk about is ecosystem, okay? And the one that comes to mind when I think about ecosystem is Shopify. So um you know obviously Shopify massive e-commerce platform and the thing that I love about this play is that it doesn't just uh, create an advantage for Shopify but it also lifts up a bunch of other smaller businesses as well and so if you think about Shopify you know there's other companies that are just dedicated to helping other companies be successful with Shopify and so there's you know Shopify app developers Shopify agencies Shopify expert partners. And these are all individual companies that, you know, when they're successful, the customer's successful, Shopify is successful. And then it's just this kind of symbiotic ecosystem, right? And so obviously that takes a lot of work to maintain. But again, if you can get it right and you invest in it early, that's something that is going to be a massive moat for other competitors to try to that that it's going to be difficult for other competitors to try to get through. And so, like I said, community brand, education, ecosystem, those are the four that I think are especially interesting right now.
0: What strikes me, Andy, by what, what you just said there about that all these different differentiators in the, in, in how you can strategically position a company. The one thing that strikes me is that a lot of what you talked about is highly creative divergent thinking. So you know, creating resources for an example of going creating resources in education position. I mean, you can do the research and go, oh, no company's doing that, or no company's um, approaching their customers in that way in the revenue intelligence space. Uh, yes, but it takes that creativity and the insight to ask that question in the first place when it comes to intelligence um, around your competitors. And I think a lot of that Sort of research and understanding competitors comes down to what questions are you asking. Um, but how do you approach that in terms of just getting into understanding your competitors? You say you're doing your first sort of research project in the space. How do you? What kind of questions do you help say your uh, course attendees or even your own company you work with? What kind of questions actually start that that they want to answer um, when it comes to competitors?
1: Yeah, great question. So I mean, a couple of the questions that you need to just ask yourself, number one, it's it's internally, right? Because before you start asking questions about competitors, you really need to understand who you're competing with in the first place. Um, and before you, you know, in order to do that, you just really have to ask a couple of unique questions, which is who am I being evaluated against and who am I replacing, or who is replacing me in some cases, okay? Just by asking those two questions, you're gonna be able to understand really who your competitors are. Uh, that you're constantly up 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 against, and so what I typically recommend if you're just starting out is to just find you know a top ten list of the different competitors that you're up against, and then just start looking at their website to try to understand who they're talking with, or excuse me, who they're trying to talk to, who their target market is, and that way you can understand really like what what strategy are they going after to acquire more customers, and when you start doing that you're going to start to inevitably see a couple of different patterns. And what I like to typically do in this situation is try to bucket companies into three categories, which, um, kind of explain strategy in, in broad strokes for the majority of software companies. Okay. So as you're looking at websites, try to try to understand, okay, are they doing one of three things? The first is, are they creating a category? Number two, are they carving out a niche? And number three, are they competing with your market? Okay, so let's break those down really quickly. Okay, so competing for market share, what this, com- what these companies typically look like: flexible pricing. You know, they might be uh, the budget option, kind of uh, the all-in-one tool of uh, v- very, very cheap. Uh, might not be super, super feature-rich or in-depth but they might be really easy to use, okay? And great at a few very important things. That's typically a company that's competing for market share. Number two, carving a niche. Okay, so that's somebody who, you know, they might play in the revenue intelligence space or the conversational marketing space. But within that space, they're going to be targeting a specific persona. So like conversational marketing for healthcare, revenue intelligence for industrial companies, right? An industry or a segment within an existing category, CRM for enterprises, right? I think about Salesforce when I think about that, or CRMs for startups, small businesses. I think of HubSpot for something like that. Okay, and the last one is creating a category. So something like that is when uh, a company, it might be trying to create a unique narrative or positioning relative to similar products in their space. They're trying to play the role of an educator uh, or maybe a consolidator of different tools to create kind of a new solution uh, to an age-old problem, right? And so uh, a couple of other, you know, I mentioned Drift. They invented conversational marketing as a category and they came in with a very unique narrative and positioning and um, so much so that now other companies are trying to uh, claim that same title as well of conversational marketing. And so those are a couple of the questions that, Number one, right, you ask yourself to understand who you're competing against. But then once you're actually checking out those companies, um, it's a small little framework that you can use to just try to quickly understand the kind of strategy that they have in place to continue to grow.
0: Hmm. Uh, it's fascinating to me, uh, those three Cs and the, and the way that you frame it, because I think it gets down to the heart of like, what are you selling? or What is the product? What is the market that you're in? Um, and who are you as a business? I mean, it's a bit of a esoteric, you know, <laughs> um, bit mm-hmm. more of an ex- existential question. It's like, who are you in this market? Totally. Uh, and, totally. and I think often because, you know, I was having a conversation with a colleague just this week and we were talking about the problem of semantics in the marketing technology industry in that, uh, the, the problem with a lot of marketing and positioning is that the language is just so confused. You know, like what's the difference between a data orchestration platform versus a customer data platform versus a marketing automation platform? I mean, all those categories is like so much blurred lines in between just those mm-hmm. three. And then you've got um, research companies that are very creatively inventing their own categories or saying, this is a new category for this or that. And what the challenge is that it's like just getting very clear on your language on who you are as a business. Like what, com- what market are you in? What are you actually selling? I mean, we just, I think we overconfuse things sometimes, but is that a problem that you see in the competitive uh, industries as well?
1: Oh my God. All the time, especially with creating a category. And it's, it's just like what you mentioned. It's like, you know, just because you come up with a unique label, like X intelligence or X automation, you know, just a unique word. It's almost like an ad lib where you just kind of like write a word next to intelligence or automation or something like that. And all of a sudden you have a new category and it's really not that easy. And so all of this, you know, bears a reminder that, uh, you can do any of these things poorly or well, (laughs) you know what I mean? So you can try to create a category and not be successful. You could try to carve a niche and speak to a specific target audience, but you know, not reach them. And so that's just something to keep in mind There, you can do things well or not well. And the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, this kind of speaks more to that like existential question of like, who are you? Because I think in a lot of cases, people, uh, they see something like, oh, create a category. That sounds innovative. That sounds sexy. Like, I really want to like do that thing. Um, I definitely don't want to compete for market share. Like, I don't want to like fight for scraps or anything like that. But like, really, at the end of the day, what you have to understand is uh, (laughs) if the company is making money then it really doesn't matter like what the strategy is. Like There are plenty of companies that compete for market share. They might be number 30, the number 30 choice out of like email automation tools. But the way that the business is structured, it is conducive for being a competitor within that marketplace and being number 30. They might be very, very profitable considering the number of employees that they have. Um, And so there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these strategies. It's really just down to the execution and are you
0: knowledgeable and
1: successful in executing that strategy.
0: Yeah, execution is a the big part here. I think is that just getting into market and doing things. You'll learn t- hundred to x more than having endless board discussions and conversations and and mm-hmm. you know philosophical workshops about you know the positioning in the market. I mean, it's, it's getting hard hard feedback from your customers. And to your point, where does the revenue come from? Where does the growth come from? And chasing that. I mean, but there's I think I think the the great thing about competitive intelligence is it's it's gaining a level of foresight on a, where you play into the future as well. And I think that's a really quite interesting part here is to say, yes, we're thriving, we're growing, we're, you know, our business is doubling every year. Fantastic. But on the other side, it's like, well, what is the existential threat here? Um, is it privacy? Is it um, new innovation? Uh, is it um, a whole bunch of different things? And what are our competitors and how are they leaning into those different threats as well? And so I think that's really quite fascinating how you talk about the um, the way to approach Competitive strategies, but the but the uh, but the crux of it is executing well and following growth and doing that so you can get to a good starting point. Which leads me to my next question, which is, um, of course, the whole concept of having a say a team that does competitive intelligence. Now that sits in different parts of a business. Often it either sits in product development or it sits in M and A and acquisitions. There's a lot of competitive analysis being done in that space, and also um, in marketing. Um, and to some degree in other areas like customer service and sales, of course, is a, is a, is a big one. But in forming a team or building a program within a company, that doesn't seem easy to me. Um, that actually seems like a big challenge. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, you're, you're very right. Yes.
0: Yeah. So what are the steps that you've taken um, with the companies you've worked with to build that program up, advocate for it, champion it, and get buy-in eventually? <laughs>
1: yeah, you know that's a great question. It, it made me laugh. you 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 talked about uh, oh, I feel like you know someone in sales could do it or or someone in product, or you know it's someone in product marketing. Oh, actually someone on Emine. it's it, it, there, I have these kinds of conversations with myself all the time where I'm thinking like, okay, where where is the best spot for me? But at the end of the day, it really just boils down to you know what's important to the company at that specific time. okay, so i'll I'll tell you a quick story just about you know changing teams and why it's it's totally, it totally makes sense. I don't think there's one right answer. But when I was at ZoomInfo and I was working on competitive Intel, I was initially rolling up into the marketing team and that made sense given like where the company was at at that time. And then, uh, you know, a couple years passed, we had done a number of acquisitions of other companies in the space and we were trying to roll out a bunch of new products at the time. A, A lot of new products that weren't, that weren't I don't know, familiar, they we're kind of trying to create a new operating system for revenue teams. And so we really needed the product marketing and competitive Intel teams to roll up into the product side. to so just have a, a better seat at the table and guide kind of that launch process. And in my head, like now that I look back on that process, I think, wow, that, that totally made sense. Like that's where the priority of the company, that's, what, that's, that's, that was the priority for the company at the time. And that was the best way for product marketing and competitive Intel to support that priority. Okay, so that's that's kind of how I have thought about where competitive Intel should sit moving forward. It's just, let's think about the priority of the company and how can I align myself more naturally to support that priority? And then just kind of take it from there. Now, anyway, you were asking about just starting out and like building a program kind of from scratch. And there's, a, you know, There's a couple of inherent problems that a lot of companies face before they onboard a competitive intelligence program. The first is there's a lot of knowledge, but it's very scattered and inconsistent. Like I mentioned, because competitors are public entities and everyone has different experiences with those competitors, you might have somebody who knows a ton about them over there on the product team, Uh, someone who knows a ton about them over there on the sales team, but like, you know, it's not consistent across the company. And so just because they do really well against competitors doesn't mean that everybody does. There's, you know, it it doesn't scale. Um, The other issue is you're not sure who you want to pay attention to, especially now with all of these different competitors popping up, like I said, over a hundred thousand different SaaS products um, out there. um, It can be really overwhelming right? Like just new competitors popping up left and right, a bunch of new press releases about a funding round an acquisition, a new product update, like it can just get really overwhelming. And if you don't know who you should be focusing on, then it, it can just be very challenging. You'll just be sitting there spinning your wheels on what you should be doing. The last piece that a lot of folks are typically struggling with is, you know, trying to gather all of that competitive knowledge throughout the company and not sure, you know, who they're supposed to be paying attention to and then just being way too stretched thin and getting burnt out and then leaving the company to go do something else. So those okay. are like the big challenges that I primarily see with companies that aren't quite yet at the at the point where they've like created just a uh, a formal competitive intelligence program. Uh, so if you are trying to go in and clean all of that stuff up, I think that the the number one thing to really. Focus on is somebody that is collaborative, specifically throughout the entire company, and so um, someone who's not afraid to have product conversations with the product team, someone who's not afraid to have sales conversations with the sellers, um, uh, with the marketing team, trying to understand, okay, what are the what are the big plays that you're trying to run to displace a specific competitor? How can I help with the messaging? Those are the kind of knowledge workers that you want within those competitive Intel roles. Someone who's not afraid to go across the aisles and uh, lift up the program and make sure that everybody has access to the same information. Um, And just as well, someone who isn't afraid to kind of take that extra step and bring some more organization into um, helping everyone understand who they should really be concerned with, right? Like if competitor X, isn't uh, you know taking away a bunch of revenue from from uh, from the sales team then maybe we shouldn't be paying attention to them every single uh, every single week and trying to provide an update um, maybe we should only be paying attention to these top 10 competitors on a monthly basis and then on an ad hoc basis you know we we check out like the just the broader market and see where that's going so just somebody who like I said isn't afraid to collaborate with other folks isn't afraid to level up just overall the uh the the thinking process or the thought process for who they're paying attention to and someone that just can you know champion that kind of mentality of competitive intelligence that's really like what somebody would need for Uh that first kind of competitive intel role
0: well that's right i mean there's the challenge with selling in say competitive strategy say we want a budget of a million dollars a year and we want a team of four people we're going to research and facilitate basically the the knowledge gathering and insights of the competitive landscape across our business now that pitch it's very hard to create a position of return on investment on that type of pitch because what you're doing is creating resources, knowledge sharing, empowering the teams, empowering um, the leaders with the right knowledge and the right insights to make the strategic decisions on the company. Now, that's a hard sell because there's no, yeah. hey, there's no like $2 million return on a million dollar investment. It's a, we don't know yet until we find out. <laughs> what the opportunities are. But have you done anything in terms of traceability? Say, you know, you did a research project or you collected a bunch of insights that led to a decision. And then that decision ended up paying off after a period of time. Have you done anything in terms of traceability or to help people with competitive intelligence sort of get to a number or get to some sort of outcome that's tied to that investment in a company on the program?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a couple of ways that you can go about this. Um, In the very beginning, Um, when you are trying to establish a competitive Intel program, what's really important is understanding a couple of things. Number one, the overall competitive win rate for the company against different competitors. And typically you can get that just by, uh, you know, through specific fields within your Salesforce or just your general CRM. Um, When you win or lose a deal, are you tracking the competitors that you're up against? So that's one thing. But then the second thing that I always like to do before I start a program is I like to understand, you know, just the overall confidence level in the go-to-market teams, specifically the sales teams. And so I'll send them a survey um, and you can do this for free with a Google Form survey. It doesn't have to be super fancy, but just ask, um, hey, on a scale of one to five, how confident are you when you're up against competitor X? Next question. How confident are you when you go up against competitor Y? Okay, list out those top 10 competitors in that kind of format. And just see what comes wow. back. And you probably won't be surprised if uh, you get the results back. And if you don't have a formal competitive incel program, then you know the results are probably going to be like uh, two out of five average, two and a half out of five average. And number one, that should that should explain or help take care of um, getting the resources that you need to 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 build out a formal program to get that investment taken care of and okayed by the executive team because nobody wants to have a sales team that feels not confident when a competitor is brought up. Okay, so you have your win rate, you have your competitor confidence from your sales team. Now, what you can do is start to put pieces into place to um, make the team more confident, right? So you can build out different pieces of collateral, internal battle cards, you can work with your customer advocacy team to create new competitive case studies. You can hold trainings with the sales team. It can be one-on-one. It can be group style. Um, and then, what I would recommend you do um, after that is just continue to track the overall adoption of, you know, the consumption of all of these materials. The sellers that show up to these trainings. The sellers that are reading the battle cards. Who's sharing the case studies. And then try to come up with some sort of report at the end of, it could be six months, it could be 12 months, but just showing some sort of correlation to the new competitive win rate compared to the old competitive win rate as before. And then also if you could double down and uh, survey the sales team again, say, hey, okay, six, 12 months later, let's uh, see how confident are you against competitor X, Y, and Z? Then if you can show that correlation of, okay, confidence has increased, competitive win rate has increased, you can kind of infer that these two have a, a decent relationship with each other that just be, that because you know confidence has improved, sellers know what they're supposed to say, then you can take credit for that increased competitive win rate. So that's kind of how I've approached um, reporting on wins for my competitive Intel programs in the past.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think there's a lot there, right, in terms of figuring out the ROI. One way that uh, one company does it, um, and a small shout out to winter.com, so the founder there, uh, Pep Lager, he, he's looking at things, competitive intelligence from the angle of uh, messaging. So so, mm-hmm. uh, so you've got every SaaS business has a, a homepage or a landing page on their website. And the software will get a list of panelists to review the copy and your messaging, your headlines, your value propositions, your CTA, and it's a software that facilitates people, experts in different domains to basically give you feedback on your copy and your messaging. And what he does to show the ROI of that is that, well, they changed their messaging and then sales went up, leads went up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, you know, that's one way, but that's one really, really specific segment, which is literally just messaging, website messaging on your on on a homepage. You know, now you look at the galaxy of competitive Intel and everything we've talked about, perhaps one way to go about this is to get wins in some areas to go, well, if we look at this specific segment here, and then we make improvements based on our research, what happens with that? And then we can grow and and become more influential in a company over time instead of going for the big, let's try and change the whole direction of a company. Let's see how competitive intelligence influences one small area. Um, But I think that is a lot there that you can do. But it's always coming back to you. Well, yeah. What what did I get for my $1 million? <laughs> <laughs> totally, I, totally, I, totally. I think there's. I think what you mentioned is some great ways to to tackle that question as it comes up for every anyone with a budget assigned to them. But let's move into yeah. something. There's, uh, there's, one, other thing.
1: there's yep. one other thing that I think is yep. very interesting and also underrated. Like people think that it's very... Um, I, actually, I couldn't tell you what people think. I, my guess is that people think that this is almost too easy Uh, or like it's not like a scalable way of getting data, but I digress. Another way that I typically show value for the competitive Intel program is, you know, I talked about those sales confidence surveys. The second one, right? The one at like that six or 12 month mark, I'll ask one extra question, one or two extra questions um, that weren't on the original one, which is something along the lines of um, how helpful has the competitive Intel collateral bin for you in closing deals? And then I'll give three options. One is not helpful at all. Two, uh, slightly helpful. Three, massively helpful. And if you just, you know, if you send that to your sales team and you get responses where the majority of sellers are saying, oh, this was very helpful in closing a lot of deals, you know, then it's like, that's, is right there like you can infer then for sure that you helped with the confidence that you helped with the win rate and so there's nothing wrong with just asking you know your target audience which in my case in a lot of in a lot of cases it's the sales team just having a great relationship with them making sure that you're creating collateral content that is actually going to move the needle for them and then asking them for feedback at the end of it because you know if you can show that you've listened to them and that they're using the materials that you've created like it's right there. it's It's very easy to show that correlation
0: hmm. yeah, it's it's great. I think there's there's so much that you can do. And I think we I think it, given that the category is relatively new, I'm sure there's going to be some more and more fantastic software businesses that will come and help answer them those questions as well. I try mm-hmm. and automate some of that research or organize it as with, as it is with every sort of type of service or discipline within a company. There's always that sort of layer of abstraction that my company say, hey, there's an opportunity to automate a lot of this or to organize it a different way and, and show the ROI more specifically. But, but mm-hmm. let's, let, let's talk about your, your experience with ClickUp. Now, it's one of the more interesting SaaS companies out there Competing in the process management space with companies like Monday.com, Atlassian, Asana, companies that have been around that space for a long, long time. But ClickUp has somehow been able to break through a really crowded marketplace with a unique message. What's that story, and how does that work with competitive intelligence? Totally.
1: Great question. And so, let me give you like what. I interpret as our big differentiator. And then I'm also going to chat through some of those like non-product based differentiators that I mentioned before that I think actually fit really well with um, how ClickUp has gone to market. And so from a product perspective, I'm going to start with the product perspective, why I think it has broken through and people have latched onto it. So the biggest difference with ClickUp is that it's essentially built for the way that teams want to work, right? It doesn't push any ideology to make you work a specific way. The user is essentially in the driver's seat. And so a great example of the platform's flexibility is its ability to essentially let teams enable or disable features that are relevant to their work. So, you know, that could be docs, goals, whiteboards, sprints, time tracking. You know, the user can dig into features and that will increase their productivity and hide all the other stuff that might otherwise distract them. But you know, I I mentioned a handful of point solutions, and that's barely scratching the surface in terms of what you can use ClickUp for. It's super feature rich, which as a product marketer, you know, it can be hard to not want to name every single one of them. But having all those tools makes things so much easier for users and leaders because, you know, now they don't have to go out and purchase a bunch of third party integrations to make the tool work for them. Um, I'm sure folks will attest That the the frustration of working out of five to 10 different point solutions to just manage a product launch or a marketing campaign, you know, having something like ClickUp, which is essentially like an all in one shop, it makes things way more easier for folks, you know, it really reduces the amount of confusion that they otherwise would have. Okay. So that's from a product perspective, what I think the big differentiator is. Now, in terms of non-product based differentiators, a couple that I think will really resonate with a lot of folks. Number one is the brand. The brand is something that is very difficult to replicate. And I think ClickUp has done a really great job of creating kind of this youthful energetic voice in an otherwise very stagnant category in project management you know and so I think that is very very important it's we're almost like making project management fun and productivity fun and the other piece too is community um, ClickUp is very very close with its users with its customers and they've done an incredible job of nurturing those relationships before I even started at ClickUp the first thing I did like any you know, person evaluating a new company that they might work for would do is I looked up ClickUp and just, you know, some of the scores on G2, G2 g2.com. That's like where a lot of people will review software. And I was blown away at the amount of support that the users were showing ClickUp. Just people loved using the product. People loved interacting with the brand on social media. And it just seemed like a, a no brainer in terms of, a competitive advantage that people just love interacting with the brand. And so those are a couple of the ways that I think ClickUp has, you know, has really leaned into in order to gain such a fast following over the
0: past few years. Hmm. There's, there's a lot in that, in that, in what you just described, Andy, there's, there's so much in how they've differentiated across community, building a brand. And then also that aspect. I mean, even if you look at the ClickUp homepage right now, it says one app, to replace them all all of your work in one mm-hmm. place tasks dos chats <laughs> goals and more and you know how many process apps i've seen in the market that try and do that where they say mm. you don't need any to integrate anything with our software it's all in one it's the only software you need to buy to manage all marketing processes or all business product development processes totally yeah but, yeah. but the, i think the, that is a unique insight the, the need to not have to integrate many tools together and look i've been there. And I've tried with Trello integrating it with a whole bunch with Google Docs with uh with spreadsheets. I mean, all of that integration work is a challenge, right? And so having that insight immediately is pr- probably wasn't enough just for ClickUp to differentiate. I think it's the branding. It's this the numerous billboards I've seen all over the US. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's that community advocacy and investing in the right things to build a differentiated, highly differentiated brand. But it does come back to well, yeah, as you mentioned before, like a lot of process management tools. It's a bit stale. It's a bit boring. Let's make it fun. It Let's make it youthful. Let's make it interesting. Now that has nothing to do with product or features, but it has a lot to do with design, branding, and what kind of markets you're talking into. So again, it's a great example of going back to what we were speaking about previously about, it's not differentiating and um, going against your competitors is not just about products and features. It's about your brand. It's about how you, what, com- what markets you want to play in. Uh, So Andy, I have absolutely enjoyed this conversation. Um, A lot to learn here in competitive intelligence, Uh, but over to you, where would, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn. So just
1: type in Andrew McCotter Bicknell. I try to post every day, at least every weekday about uh, something with regards to competitive intelligence. And so uh, follow me there, get updates there. Um, If you're interested in taking a look at the competitive playbook, um, I think you mentioned it at the very beginning of the podcast, that's my personal playbook for building out a competitive Intel program from scratch. And so if you're interested in taking a look at that, just check out competitiveplaybook.com. Oh geez, I'm also on TikTok, so I guess I'll try to promote that too. I've, I've just gotten swept up in trying to master short form video. So if you wanna watch me struggle to stay relevant, <laughs> then you can follow me on TikTok. <laughs> I'm actually under at healthy competition to that. Um, and I actually have a podcast under that same name too, Healthy Competition. So if you want to listen to a podcast, check it out there. I have a lot of stuff. And so, but I think LinkedIn would probably be the first stop, if you will, because I usually share all my stuff from there.
0: That's great. And now we regularly feature people in the Martech weekly newsletter on Making Sense of Martech every fortnight. And we delve into topics of subscribers really care about people like Andrew, who's pioneering a whole new category of a professional discipline in the SaaS sector. So if you'd like to read, listen, and subscribe, head to themartechweekly.com. Thanks for joining me, Andy. Yeah, thanks. This was a blast.